Spiritual Freedom Show with Richard Lawrence, where politics is not the answer, materialism counts for nothing, and spirituality will set you free. I'm Richard Lawrence, and this is an Ethereus podcast. We're also syndicated on these radio networks on the first and third Saturdays of the month. Body, Mind, Spirit Radio, Transformation Talk Radio, WTRM, the Trim Radio Network, and Oneness Talk Radio. So welcome again to the Spiritual Freedom Show, and we are having our invited guests uh, currently as our part of our podcast, our weekly podcast, and all of those guests are people who live these teachings. Not perfectly, none of us would claim that at all, but certainly uh, very much so. I I don't even want to say to the best of our ability, because that can also be an excuse if you're not careful, but certainly living it very definitely in our lives. It's not just something that we put on a bookshelf. It's something we study and we practice because the nine freedoms is a practice. It's a practical uh, thing. And the person who's going to share her thoughts for us today definitely does this. I know that for a fact because I am very fortunate to be married to her. And it's Alison Lawrence. And she's our guest again today. She's a bishop. She's a very experienced presenter who's given many lectures and workshops and broadcasts uh, and in several languages, by the way, recently doing one in Italian, for example, uh, for over an hour. And she's done this uh, for many years. But today she's going to be talking about the all important first freedom, bravery. So let's hear that clip by Mars Sector 6 through Dr. George King in deep somatic trance from bravery. A knowledge gained by adherence to the laws, the unchangeable laws, can bring to you that a stage of enlightenment which dispels fear, a state of mind can be changed at once for good or for evil. It is just as easy to have a state of mind unclouded by a fear as it is to have a state of mind warped by this intrusion. One of the great psychological problems mankind faces is fear of the unknown. 
For the most part, people just live for the moment in a materialistic world without any understanding that all thought and action is subject to the great law of karma. No religious belief can be complete unless it incorporates this immutable law into its belief system. At some time in our life, we have all experienced premonitions and uh, an intuitive feeling that we have made possibly a wrong decision in our life. We also have to learn that nothing happens by chance. Many people have said, why is this happening to me? One of the great turning points in our evolution is accepting into our life the reality of the great law of karma and everything we think and do has its repercussions down the line. The law of karma is not something to be feared. The whole purpose of life is to evolve. And once we understand that nothing is haphazard and that whatever lessons we have to learn can come from the consequences of actions in past lives, we can be more accepting of them and learn to handle situations better instead of resisting them. Taking to the spiritual path does not make our lessons go away, but recognising them as such, learning from them and then detaching from them and moving forward. Once you have learned a lesson from the past, you won't have to go through that experience again. You will learn to follow the signs of life and a whole new vision of life will open up before you. And if you abide by the law of karma in all aspects of your life, you will go from strength to strength. Mars Sector 6 is so right in this statement. Bravery is the first freedom. And once we dispel fear and conditioning set by society, we will free ourselves on the limitations we have set ourselves and learn to use our intuition. Then we will tune into the, our higher self, which is always trying to steer us in the right direction. Well, thank you very much indeed, Alison Lawrence, uh, for those profound thoughts of bringing out some of the hidden meanings, which is one of the things we have been told to do of these teachings. And it's interesting, is it, we must always remember that the, uh, particularly, I think, the first four freedoms, but it's stated they're not given in order of importance. Because mm. here we have an interesting thing here, Darren, that we can enter a stage of enlightenment by adherence to the unchangeable laws that Alison was talking mm -hmm. about. They're not by a particular practice or a particular series of exercises, but by adherence to the unchangeable laws. And, and the best way to do that, of course, in this day and age, is through service. Yeah, that uh, that particular line, actually, it's so funny you pick up on that, because um, I was lis listening to it again the other day. I was like, every time I hear it, it just becomes more and more clear how simple it is what we need to do and how, and how clear the Nine Freedoms is about um, you know, this path through evolution for us. And I, I just absolutely love it. It's very, um, very liberating, isn't it? Absolutely. It's a great, great word to use. I think um, you know, she highlights that in the thing, doesn't she? That mm. the key here, or at least one of them, is, is learning the vital lessons that experience gives to us. And that's how we can free ourselves from the limitations we have set for ourselves. Um, yeah. And that is, you know, to be, to, be to be empowered with that, not just for ourselves and our own lives, but to be able to do that, you know, for the world as a whole, I think is incredibly 
empowering, liberating idea. Indeed, and it's just as easy to have a state of mind unclouded by fear as it is to have a state of fear. Um, mm. You know, it, it's as easy to have a state of mind unclouded by fear as mm. it is to have one not unclouded by fear. I mean, you know, this is a, a very liberating thought. Uh, and, you very. know, so many people who suffer from, I think we all to some degree suffer from fears, if we're really honest, or phobias or insecurities, whatever word you want to use, that we think it'd be very, very difficult to get rid of. And yet some people think it's impossible to get rid of them. And some, I'm sorry to say, psychological schools of thought encourage the idea that, you know, you're scarred for life. You can't get rid of this. Um, And here we have it's just as easy to live without this fear um, or to have a state unclouded by fear. Let's be precise to the words. Um, It's very liberating because it's telling us no. Um, It's not saying it's easy to get rid of, but it's just as easy to maintain that state of not having Mm. fear as it is to maintain a state of having fear. A very, very encouraging, helpful really almost like a self-help guide at one more basic level for there from Mars Sector 6. Yeah, wonderful words, I agree. Now, have we got any comments, any questions? I know we have from our wonderful listeners. Yeah, I've got a couple of comments here and a question if we have time for it. But if you're tuning in with us for the first time, you can find out more about the nine freedoms, about Mars Sector 6 and Dr. George King by visiting our website, thetherius.org. That's A-E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S.org. Uh, we share a question or a comment like the one that like the ones I'd like to I'd like to share here on the show every week. So do get in touch with this. Is there something that you'd like to share? That's spiritual freedom at richardlawrence.co.uk. So a um, couple here, Richard, I thought I'd read out. First one goes, um, gosh, thank you, Mark, for such depth of thinking and so clearly and concisely. These podcasts are a wonderful act of service for us all. Lovely. That's very nice. And very true, I think, of Mark and some of the others that we we've had on too. Yeah. Uh, This person says, I just wanted to say thank you for these wonderful, uplifting and thought provoking podcasts. I enjoy them all as they do inspire me to be in service more fully. Oh, that's the best thing that could happen, Darren, there. It's inspiring that listener to be more fully in service. What, What better? What better result could we have? Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. So I've got a, I've got a question here for you, Richard. Um, certainly one that I didn't know the answer to immediately. Um, see what you think. Mm. So it says, hi, Darren, I was just driving home tonight. and Out of nowhere, a beautiful crescent red moon popped out of nowhere. We talk a lot about the very essence of the sun and how life could not exist without it. I've heard George King talk briefly about the importance of psychic abilities relating to the moon. I would imagine the moon is another form of intelligence, but not really sure. And it's not mentioned as a step in the nine freedoms. Could you shed some insight on the moon wow that's uh i know you know as, as always i'm not prepared for these questions i don't know what's coming the exact nature of the moon i don't have at the tip at my fingertips and i don't want to give any wrong information but what i do know is that the moon is very very much connected to this earth of course um and that at one time certainly some uh, intelligences from this earth lived on the moon um, it, it does have a great significance, certainly in what you might call occult writings. Um, it's been absurdly connected to the dark side by some, wrongly, wrongly. In fact, one of the reasons the number 13 is said to be unlucky, of course, is that there's 13 um, lunar months in the calendar as opposed to 12 solar oh, months. I didn't know that. Yeah. 
uh, they're 28 days in length, so or usually. Um, so that's you know for the, that that's one of the reasons. It's not the only one. Others say it's to do with the 12 disciples and different people give different reasons. But that goes way predates Christianity. But actually, again, wrongly, because there's no such thing as an unlucky number. Uh, 13 is not an unlucky number. One of our listeners, Molly Entwistle, could hold forth about that. She's a numerologist. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, but also, of course, the lunar calendar is very, very significant. And, it, and, it, and it's used. I mean, you can see some ancient Sanskrit writings where the words sun and moon appear a lot. And they're often taken to be the sun being the positive uh, um, polarity-wise positive uh, aspect, which associated often with the right nostril in breathing, and the moon, the negative, uh, associated often with the left nostril in breathing. And sometimes it's just a code that's used to describe those two aspects, the positive and the negative polarities of energy. Fascinating insight into the numerology and the, that aspect of the energies. I think the moon has also um, just always been a fascination for us um, in general. I, um, I recall um, you know different things that the master has said about, or even the master theorist has said about mm-hmm. it. I think uh, in You Are Responsible, I think uh, the master recounts an experience where he actually projected to the moon and described um, a space, uh, you know, extraterrestrial space station that he saw there at the time. Then he's also talked about how um, I think the master theorist said that one of the astral realms of Earth is actually quite near to the moon and that entities that live there feed off the magnetic, magnetic energies of the moon, which helps to clear them of certain diseases. So Yes, that's right. Good point. I, I remember that now you mentioned. Yes, there are different aspects. It's, of course, vitally important and uh, very important to, to our being. I think we have to remember, of course, a great change came about in 1969 with a, an event called the initiation of the solar system and uh, although the earth was excluded from this um, by the choice of the mother earth this is a very advanced topic and it's it's published in full in a book called visit to the logos of earth there may have been there an effect on the moon certainly there was effect on dwellers on other planets and what was visible uh, on certain planets and possibly the moon prior to 1969 wouldn't necessarily be visible to us now if we were to to go there mm, yeah okay i'd have to just give that caveat because there was a, there was a deliberate and, and great change um in that regard yeah very interesting question so that really wraps up this particular show this podcast we've run out of time again so thanks again to all our listeners and let's always remember that service is the jewel in the rock of attainment. The Spiritual Freedom Show with Richard Lawrence, where politics is not the answer, materialism counts for nothing, and spirituality will set you free. I'm Richard Lawrence, and this is an Ethereus podcast. We're also syndicated on these radio networks on the first and third Saturdays of the month. Body, Mind, Spirit Radio, Transformation Talk Radio, WTRM, the Trim Radio Network, and Oneness Talk Radio. Well, hello again, Spiritual Freedom Show listeners. And we're very happy to be joined again by one of our most regular contributors, Mark Bennett. 
he's, of course, uh, as many of you know, I've known him for over 25 years, the co-author of two books uh, with myself, God's Guides and Guardian Angels and Prayer Energies, an international director of the Ethereum Society. And today is going to be talking about an extract from the second freedom, love. And I must say, Mark does really penetrate the inner meanings of some of these teachings, something that we're really trying to do here on the Spiritual Freedom Show. And I came across this, these words delivered uh, only a couple of weeks, actually, just over two weeks after the completion of the Nine Freedoms by the Master Theorius, another great cosmic master, in a teaching uh, a transmission called the Master Cog. And this is what the, he said in that. He said, it should be quite possible for those who are really searching to obtain these transmissions. This is a reference to all the transmissions, including the nine freedoms, which had been delivered to date. He went on, it should also be made possible for the searchers to also obtain a commentary on these transmissions so that they may better understand them, may better appreciate their hidden meanings. And I think that's quite a, a especially that word, those words, hidden meanings, I think is quite a key point here. And it's something I think that Mark really does do. So as I say, he's going to be talking about an extract in this show from the second freedom, uh, Love, delivered by Mars Sector 6 through Dr. King. So let's listen to that now. Love is sacrifice. Real sacrifice. If ever um, there were one thing sure, um, it is this. At your a command is a whole macro cosmic a system filled with this energy you will be asked after the initiation called death either why you did not use this power more fully or why you attended a to misuse the basic aspects of it. Be prepared for this question for as sure as God it will be asked and you will answer dependent upon that answer or my brothers can be your next life 
the second freedom is love, true love, manifests and mold your future. These are the closing words of the second freedom, love. And I'd like to share some thoughts on those five words, love is sacrifice, real sacrifice. You don't have to be spiritual or even very intelligent to understand that some sacrifice is always necessary for love to last, even on a very basic level. No marriage can be a good marriage without sacrifice. In fact, no relationship of any kind, be it family, friends, colleagues, diplomatic relations between countries, and so on, no relationship of any kind can be successful and lasting without sacrifice. But of course, this statement comes from a very elevated cosmic source and has a lot more importance than just basic human relationships. To achieve anything at all in life, good, bad or indifferent, you have to make a sacrifice of one kind or another. It doesn't matter how big or how small the undertaking, there has to be sacrifice. For example, if you're hungry, you sacrifice your time and money to buy and prepare food. You might say, what if someone else buys and prepares your food? Well, who is this someone else? What have you done to be in a position where someone bothers to go to that trouble for you? Let's say it's a friend. What effort have you expended such that they want you as a friend? And so it goes on. Nothing just happens. Everything is the result of effort, of sacrifice. And even if something appears to just happen... It doesn't. If it appears to just happen, then it just means that you don't understand the cause or causes of that something. Now, of course, the sense here in the second freedom is a sacrifice of a very highly elevated nature. Making sacrifices in your life for the sake of service to others. Dedicating your whole life to this service. And love to a cosmic master means even being willing to sacrifice your salvation for backward, hostile life forms who treat them extremely badly, as has happened many times on earth when they have chosen to be born among us in order to help us. This is real love, completely unlike the sickly sentimentality or brutish possessiveness that is often mistaken for real love on earth. But let's look at the sentence again, this time in a very literal way. Mars Sector 6 doesn't say love requires sacrifice or love involves sacrifice. He says love is sacrifice. He defines it as sacrifice. Does this mean that every act of sacrifice is love? Well, I think it does in, in a way. Remember the transmission from Saturn, the one energy, where we're told that there is really but one energy in the system. This one energy is love. 
Love is what makes everything happen. And the more elevated the thing happening, the greater the love energy required to make it happen. What does Mars Sector 6 mean by real sacrifice? I think it's a very interesting choice of word. Real. That which is reality. What is reality? God is the one unchanging eternal and hence the one true reality. So if love is real sacrifice, love is divine sacrifice. And the more real the sacrifice, the more divine it is. And what is the ultimate sacrifice? The ultimate sacrifice is the sacrifice of God itself in making manifestation out of itself. This is the ultimate effort, the ultimate sacrifice that has brought everything else into being. Hence it is completely logical to say that love is the one energy because this love is the sacrifice that has brought everything into being. So I think we have here at least four key points in this line. Firstly, the fact that real love is much more than the basic forms of so-called love we know on earth. And it is in fact real sacrifice. In other words, as unselfish as it is possible to be. Secondly, we learn something about the nature of God that it is the ultimate real sacrifice, divine sacrifice, which is the love energy which created and continually creates manifestation, i.e. everything. Thirdly, that if this energy is what brought the whole of manifestation into being, it is also the energy which brings all individual things and happenings into being. And fourthly, that therefore everything we do is the use of this energy. And when we do something bad or stupid, we are, as Mars Sector 6 puts it, misusing the basic aspects of it. And this choice, of course, affects our next life. So in other words, love is what it's all about. What our own little lives are about, and about the very nature of the whole of manifestation. Because it is this energy which is the means by which God created manifestation. Some very thoughtful remarks there from Mark. And of course, I would just add to them that sacrifice comes from a Latin derivation and literally it means make holy. People probably don't realise that uh, if they haven't looked into it. So, Darren, what have you got for us today? Yeah, I thought I'd do something a little bit different today. I've pulled out a, a, one of those books, award-winning book, actually one of those written by with you, with Mark Bennett, God's Guides, Guardian Angels. There's a passage here that you know has always been interesting to me, and I thought I'd read it out. Just before I do that, I just wanted to uh, invite everybody, if you listen to the show for the first time, to find out more about the Nine Freedoms, about Mars Sector Six, and Dr. George King by visiting our website, ethereus.org. That's a e t h e r i u s. So here goes, Richard, and um, hope I can get a little insight from you. So you write, I remember once being with Dr. King in the sitting room of his modest bungalow in Santa Barbara, when he was in rapport with a certain cosmic master. He was in quite frail health at the time, but something about the contact made me extremely vibrant, dynamic, and energetic. 
Before he began his discussion with the Cosmic Master, he told him that I was also present, describing me as his secretary from London and giving my name. As soon as he did so, I felt a beautiful, tangible burst of love energy. It was a wonderful feeling, and I feel deeply privileged to have had such an experience. It was as though this was the way the Cosmic Master was greeting me. I didn't see anything or hear anything, but the feeling was more than adequate to prove his presence to me. Not that I needed proof, since I had already known Dr. King for many years. Although this energy was a very high caliber, I have no doubt that a master of such an elevated status would have made sure that the energy sent to me was low enough for me, had it been of an even higher caliber, which such a master would definitely be capable of. Either I wouldn't have felt it, or it would have been too powerful for me to handle. So I thought there, Richard, you know, um, you don't reveal actually who that cosmic master was, and I thought you might like to do that, perhaps for the first time even today. It the is show. the first time, and you've picked a really good day for this, Darren, because today is something the Ethereum Society celebrates, a thing called Gotha Day. And that's a planetary system uh, a long way away from this system, which is unusual for Dr. King to get a communication from outside of this solar system. And this particular experience was with one of those masters, actually known, those who are familiar with uh, Ethereum study teachings, Adept number 11, he's also referred to as. And uh-huh. I've got to say that that feeling, I still remember it so well. Uh, you know, in my sort of upbringing, I'd have sort of, you're introduced to someone, you shake their hand. This yeah. was far more tangible a feeling than a handshake from anybody uh, that I can think of anyway. Um, it was really overwhelming, extremely powerful and absolutely beautiful. So it was actually a master from Gotha. And, you know, without going into what they're doing, they are the epitome of service. And as we know on this show, service is the jewel in the rock of attainment. <laughs> The Spiritual Freedom Show with Richard Lawrence, where politics is not the answer, materialism counts for nothing, and spirituality will set you free. I'm Richard Lawrence, and this is an Ethereus podcast. We're also syndicated on these radio networks on the first and third Saturdays of the month. Body, Mind, Spirit Radio, Transformation Talk Radio, WTRM, the Trim Radio Network, and Oneness Talk Radio. Well, welcome to the Spiritual Freedom Show again. And today, I'm delighted to say we're joined uh, once more by Paul Nugent. He's lectured on the teachings of the Ethereum Society for over, well over 20 years. Television, radio, universities, churches, other venues. Uh, the last few years of Dr. King's life, Paul was very closely one of those who was at his side helping him in a very difficult period of uh, Dr. King's life, uh, in, uh, mainly at his residence in Santa Barbara. Uh, he's been active in interfaith in the United States. He's served as a board member of the Southern California Committee for the Parliament of World Religions. He's a fellow international director of the Ethereum Society uh, and with me. And today he's going to be talking about an extract from The Seventh Freedom. So let's listen to that extract delivered by Mars Sector 6 through Dr. George King. He learns the greatness of the great. Uh, To him, the divine is reflected 
through his masters upon Saturn. He would rather give up even his present freedom and be cast into the lowest terrestrial astral realms than disobey his masters by even a glance, by even a glance. This passage has always stuck out to me for, for all kinds of reasons. He learns the greatness of the great it, it, because this is it's just where one begins to appreciate what one is a part of. It just gets more and more incredibly, in a way, almost unbelievable, but at the same time, real and beautiful. I remember, you know, the master once saying that it's not the bad ones who frighten him. It's the great ones because they just fill one with awe. They filled him with awe. They made him cry in their greatness, in their beauty, in their just profound beingness. And so I just find that particular sentence inspiring. The great, the greatness of the great. What a beautiful thing to contemplate. To him, the divine is reflected through his masters upon Saturn. Uh, and this sort of, in a way, almost brings it, dare I say, more down to home. But these interplanetary masters just are sort of so incredibly advanced, but they are themselves uh, in awe of the, of the perfects of Saturn, of course, in the eighth freedom. And then there's this other line, he would rather give up even his present freedom and be cast into the lowest terrestrial astral realms and disobey his masters by even a glance, by even a glance. And it's, it's this really more than anything that, that just gets to me. Even the thought of disobedience is, is an error in itself. It's a falling away. It's a splinter. It's a splinter in one's eye, so to speak, to even possibly consider. There's one particular thing I'd like to relate to the master in that. But before I do, this is what something else that came to me when I reread this earlier today. Dare I say it reminded me of a poem I wrote many years ago called A Meditation. And there's a line in this poem that I think anybody reading this poem would have difficulty to understand. But to me, not only is it clear, but it ties in with this rather give up his present freedom and be cast into the lowest terrestrial astral realms than disobey his masters by even a glance. And I just want to read this not long, but this poem, which is called A Meditation. And I write, deep within the confines of my mind, the window with the sun against my side, I glanced a piece of nothing there and knew it was my pride. Where does one go? Where is one? Then asking, is it me? I cried 10,000, thousand tears. I touched this unity. The heartache and the reverence, the Godhead standing near. I knew there was no settlement. The cost was much too dear. And the poem goes on. But it's, it's those lines, I knew there was no settlement. There was no bargaining point. There's no deviance or turning back or exchange the, the, because the cost, 
the cost of, of, of deviance, if you like, from the Godhead was too dear. So that, you know, is was sort of very personal. And last of all, I think the master was very conscious of this line in the Nine Freedoms because he knew that we didn't follow his instructions in the way that he'd necessarily given them and or sort of thought we had a better way of doing something. And uh, he, w- he was conscious of that. And he just knew that it was terrestrial foible and weakness. And he had, I suppose, regrettably and reluctantly to make allowance for it. You know, the, the, the real masters, they, they don't disobey their masters by even a glance. But when you look at the, the greatness of the great and what we're a part of and where we're going, it just is incredibly awe-inspiring. And that is why I have chosen this passage. Well, uh, really good to hear Paul reading one of his... I do remember Paul's poems, yes, and uh, a very, very insightful uh, poem. That was written, I think, a long time ago by Paul, and this incredible revelation there about the the whole psychology and deference, total deference, of these cosmic masters to uh, their Saturnian masters, uh, it is a, it is indeed a, a lesson to all of us. Uh, what what say you, Darren? Yeah, I think interesting what you said there about the poem as well. I mean, I got chills just uh, listening to him read that. Just mm. you know, reflecting on you know the profundity of some of the points as it, as reflected in the nine freedoms, and certainly interesting what he says there about you know once you realize God, you also realize the cost of turning away from it in that way. But I guess there's a couple of things he said too that you know perhaps some listeners might might think sound a bit strange you know that people didn't always follow dr king's instructions even though he was a, a master and assuming a proven master to them you know i'm not judging i wasn't there but you know you were very close to dr king and, and worked directly with him every day for a long period so i was interested in what you know your own experience of that was yes um well i think it does need explanation because you it's i certainly want to be clear here people weren't going around deliberately disobeying dr king's instructions <laughs> they wouldn't have okay, been okay. there if they if they'd wanted to do that I think what Paul is referring to, I mean, Paul had a particular role to play and he he was close to Dr. King for the last few years of his life in a particular capacity as an aide, really, as one of the aides uh, helping him. And there's no doubt uh, that there were people um, who didn't obey Dr. King's instructions perfectly. I think partly it was memory. It was forgetfulness. It was human foible. I don't believe there were people going around saying, well, he told me to do this, but I'm going to do that. Um, or if, if that did happen, very rarely. I, I can't at this okay. point, at this moment, think of an example. I can, though, think of people who disagreed with Dr. King. And they wouldn't have disagreed with him, let's be clear here, on, on um, metaphysical, occult, um, philosophical matters at all, ever but might have disagreed with him on procedure over Mm. certain types of task. And they would um, say this, and often they'd be wrong. Um, I I think, though, for the most part, even such people, I'm certainly not going to name any names, would still have obeyed him. They would, even if they did disagree (laughs) And isn't that the point there? Uh, it's about obedience as opposed to agreement. Um, people might find it very strange to hear that anyone could have even disagreed with him. Uh, that, I, I must say, I was in a very unusual position in that I was told by Dr. King 
uh, in the la- say the last ten years of his life, uh, actually instructed by Dr. King to disagree with him if it was an important matter. Now, I don't know whether anybody else was so instructed, by the way, other than Lady Monarch, his wife. So that may or may not have applied to other people, but it did apply to me, which I found extremely difficult. And I didn't always get it right. Um, Having said that, again, it wasn't a question of disagreeing with Dr. King on anything of a metaphysical, occult, spiritual nature, but it was a question of... uh, I don't know, which would be the most suitable holy shape to be manufactured next time, Um, or even matters to do with publicity. And there were even occasions when Dr. King did change a decision he, he had made in the light of such disagreement. So, you know, bearing in mind he was in a very limited um, position and he sometimes didn't have access in his ordinary earth physical body to all the information required about this or that or the other, Um, he certainly at times, certainly in my case anyway, needed it. Now, always he could overrule me. Um, I I had a particular, I mean, this may be interesting to some uh, listeners, that I had an instruction actually from a cosmic master given in a mental transmission, and this master was from a, a place called Central Control, which is to do with this solar system and the and certain of the things that happen in it. Um, and that instruction was that because of the position I was in, um, I had to be willing to tell Dr. King things, even when he didn't always want to hear them. Now, again, mm. I don't know if anybody else had such an instruction. I didn't like that very much at all. I didn't always get it right. But I, I did do that. So it was an unusual thing. So I, I just want to stress the difference between sometimes having a d- disagreement on procedure or how an instruction, the best way to carry out an instruction, and uh, sort of going around thinking, oh, he's wrong and I'm right. Now, I'm not going to say that never happened. Human beings, I think what, what Paul's referring there to are the human foibles uh, of ordinary terrestrial people as opposed to the sort of impeccable cosmic intelligence um, who would be way, way, way above that. Yes, I think one of the interesting points you made there is about obedience, actually, because, you know, kind of in a modern society, that, well, in Western culture, at least, that's kind of frowned upon. But in Eastern mystical circles, that would have been the way that you would have interacted with, you know, your master as a disciple. I uh, thought maybe you yeah. could elaborate on that. Yes, bit. well, you see, the other thing was uh, that... Um, I was extremely fortunate to be a very close friend of Dr. King's and he and he mm. were, and he of mine. I mean, I was on the phone to him every day, at least once a day, if I wasn't with him. And so, you know, one would go out, one would go to dinner, one would travel various places, had the honor sometimes to travel alone with him and driving mm. in the car and all the rest of it. So I I used to wonder how such a thing could happen because of the massive gulf of evolution between Dr. King and myself. Mm. I realized the only way that that could work, and certainly with hindsight, I realized, is because I fully, fully knew what he was, as far as anyone can know, 
and I knew what I am, and and he knew, and I knew. So there was no pretense. It was a completely real thing. So it could flip at a moment from a friendly chat over a drink to, you know, Richard this and yes, master that, and to Lawrence, you're not mm. at the adept stage. You don't have a right to an opinion on this. It could flip okay. very quickly. And I fully accepted that. So that, that's where the obedience comes in. And I, you know, because all the time uh, there was no pretense, it was something that it wasn't. Uh, I think that's actually could extend beyond the master student relationship. But I, I think it is unusual to be mm. able to, and, and very privileged to, despite this massive difference, to still be able to have that personal relationship. And that's really because I wanted to help him, and he certainly will transform my life because service is the jewel in the rock of attainment. The Spiritual Freedom Show with Richard Lawrence, where politics is not the answer, materialism counts for nothing, and spirituality will set you free. I'm Richard Lawrence, and this is an Ethereus podcast. We're also syndicated on these radio networks on the first and third Saturdays of the month. Body, Mind, Spirit Radio, Transformation Talk Radio, WTRM, the Trim Radio Network, and Oneness Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Freedom Show again. And I'm delighted to say we've got a, a guest we haven't had uh, doing this particular kind of analysis of our teachings on this show before, and that's Bipin Patel. And Bipin's been a member of the Ethereum Society for over 35 years. He's organizer of our northern UK branch in Barnsley. Outside of the society, he's worked in pioneering scientific research for 20 years at the world-famous Standard Telecommunications Laboratories. And today he's going to be talking about an extract from one of our favourites. Well, they're all favourites, really, aren't they, Darren? Uh, but this is one of them, and it's the fourth freedom. So we're going to hear, first of all, from Mars Sector 6, delivering an extract from the fourth freedom through Dr. George King. The fourth our freedom will be... Enlightenment, a freedom from ignorance, can be brought about by all terrestrials who are willing to expand a sufficient energy to bring this elevated state into a being. There is but one a major sin upon a terror. Uh, that is ignorance, a bravery, a dispensation of 
pure a love, a service, are these attributes I can help the aspirant to bring enlightenment into being? I came across the nine freedoms at a time when I was deeply dissatisfied with the life that I was leading. Although I had graduated with a first-class honours degree and had a very good job, my life seemed to lack purpose and direction. The nine freedoms provided the direction and the answers to the major questions I had about life. When I first started, I was able to combine a study of the nine freedoms with the practice of the twelve blessings and attendance to Operation Prayer Power. I was amazed at the personal transformation the combination of these three elements brought about within me in a short space of time. In a small way, I began living the teachings in the nine freedoms as I was studying them. I discovered that I needed bravery to break away from the self-imposed materialistic limitations and focus on what had become important in my life. Some appreciation of the first freedom began to dawn on me. In the practice of the Twelve Blessings, I found a potent way in which to begin to radiate the power of love out to humanity. I could physically feel a powerful flow of spiritual energy, and this energy became a living reality for me. A small aspect of the second freedom became manifest in my life. I was inspired to attend Operation Prayer Power Charging Sessions, as I felt that this was a very powerful way in which to render service to humanity. I remember that feeling of deep inner joy after taking part in an Operation Prayer Power Charging Session. At an intuitive level, I knew I was part of something really great, something designed to help humanity at a global level. The outstanding teachings given by the Lord of Karma, Master Six, in the Nine Freedoms, combined with the powerful spiritual tools given to humanity by Dr. George King through the Aetherius Society, are to me the blueprint for the salvation and enlightenment of humanity at this critical time in our history. I was able to prove to myself in a short space of time the amazing power of the teachings and tools freely offered to all by the Aetherius Society and decided to dedicate my life to supporting this organization. Well, that's a really heartfelt and very interesting insight there from Bipin Patel. Thank you very much, Bipin. You know, it's an interesting thing, Darren, that the the fourth freedom about enlightenment uh, doesn't mention 
directly Kundalini or the chakras at all. And yet all the other first six freedoms, well, the first freedom alludes indirectly to the dormant powers within, uh, but the others all, second, third, fifth, sixth mention psychic centers and chakras. And yet the one freedom, enlightenment, where we might have expected great reference yeah, to Kundalini. Indeed, yeah. And this has got this, it, it must be deliberate. It's a different approach. It's a, it's a psychological and spiritual approach, of course, and, and karmic approach, uh, but, and mental approach, but not, a, a, as it were, a Kundalini chakra. Have you ever noticed that, uh, Darren? I only noticed it when you when you pointed out to me before because mm. you know when you read Dr. King's commentary that's you take that away from it and yes then, yeah having gone back to you know the words of Mars section six it's yeah it's, it's like absent noticeably at that point you think? yeah um, and in Dr. King's commentary he's very very explicit and detailed about the effect on the chakras and the Kundalini and so on mm, but it's mm. interesting and it shows that somebody of course there are people through history who have gained samadhi who've never heard of samadhi who've never heard, mm. and we've said this before, of the Kundalini or of mm. chakras. Uh, they might have come across them, across them like uh, we, we have references from Wordsworth to the, 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 the eye, not the eyes, but the eye. And you get that, uh, I think, as an allusion from Erasmus to that, and, and no doubt others. And others have referred to the great heat and, and so on, which is a, one of the aspects of the fire right. of Kundalini. But they haven't necessarily, it's not essential to, to know all those things, to become enlightenment. That might be one of the reasons behind that particular delivery of, of the fourth freedom. It's, it's, yes, it's an aspect of Kundalini. And personally, that's, to me, at this moment, the mo in some ways, the most interesting aspect, the Kundalini, the chakras, the nadis, the technical, mm. if you like, description but it isn't essential. You can gain enlightenment without even knowing about those things. Yeah, I suppose that's sort of like technically the how, but it, as you say, you don't necessarily even need to be conscious about or know that that is the way what's going on yeah. in order to experience and achieve this state. I mean, in this day and age, of course, with the knowledge that's now available, which didn't used to be available, uh, yes, uh, there's no reason not to. And I think, you know, certainly to get to a certain level as Dr. King did, of complete control, uh, where he could project from the body at will, where he could enter at cosmic consciousness and switch it on and off like a tap, where he could enter samadhi in, in, mm. the, in two minutes in order to receive a transmission. I think at that level, yes, you would know. You'd have to know to control it to that degree. But um, mm. certainly enlightenment, the fourth freedom, by all accounts, it's not crucial to it. Um, but Anyway, in this day and age, we do know about those things. So that brings us on to our question or our comment of the week. Before we go to that, though, Darren, I just want to flag up a teaser, as it were, a spiritual okay. freedom show teaser, if there is such a thing, that uh, we are going to uh, maybe surprise our listeners next week. Uh, there may well be some changes. There may be a surprise in the format of the show. Um, we are that's in development, so watch this space. Yeah, we're always evolving on the show. I think I'm, I'm very excited about what's coming, and um, I'm, I hope our listeners will be too. I think even more 
going into sharing the, the the relevance of these teachings to our everyday life and how people can begin to use them um, in order to make their own journey towards enlightenment. So if you're tuning in for the first time, uh, you can find out more about the Nine Freedoms, about Mars Sector 6 and Dr. George King by visiting our website, ethereus.org. Um, we share a question, a comment, even experience, um, even a moment of truth, to some extent like what Pippin shared here today. Um, mm-hmm. So do get in touch with us at Spiritual Freedom at RichardLawrence.co.uk. Well, our question this week is uh, from someone who's asked the following. Do you think that faith plays a major role on the journey to enlightenment? What an interesting question. Uh, yes, it plays a major role for sure. Um, but it's, in my opinion, it's not enough. Or let's put it this way. Blind faith, as it might be mm. called, is not something that Dr. King ever went by. Um, he did say, though, he made a very interesting remark that, uh, and I hope I've got this right, that Mars Sector 6 could tell him something that he didn't strictly believe because he couldn't conceive of such a thing but he would um accept it because it came from mars sector six in other words he he has he knows the source of mars sector six so therefore he will take what he says as a fact even if his mind can't truly conceive of that fact right and i think it's faith based on experience Uh, for example with the teachings of Dr. King, there are many things he reveals. Um, and if you go into the cosmic side of his revelations about other worlds, and if you go into the terrestrial side about other realms, which you can't verify those all individually, but you reach a point where you know that this source is true. You know it through your practice of the 12 blessings, or you know it through your study of the nine freedoms. I hope this show has helped to prove the veracity, apart from the depth of these teachings. So you know that has come from a very high source. So when that source then reveals something else, uh, which isn't specifically proven, such as what conditions are like on Saturn, for example, um, you, you accept it. You have the faith, but it's faith based on experience. It's faith based on knowledge. Uh, and so it's faith that's not blind. It's a faith which is based on something real and definite. And it can also be based on logic, logic as well. If it's really practiced, and often it isn't really practiced, also goes hand in hand with faith. They don't contradict each other. Yeah, I think there's a, a really interesting point because, um, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and I was talking about, you know, what it takes to recognize truth, um, which I think is an aspect of what you're saying mm-hmm. here. And, um, you know, many people kind of are not really familiar, don't have the experience themselves to to, to see it as anything other than sort of blindly accepting something mm-hmm. when in reality is, is what you've described. You know, you've got the aspect of intuition, of logic and of experience that has you know, that has um, led you to the conclusion that that is the truth. And so yeah. it's not just that, that someone that, you know, that someone has said, it and therefore, uh, you know, it's true. And if you don't believe this, there's something wrong with you. It's, it's no, this is a, you know, this is something that people can arrive at through these three different paths that you've just described. And it's not accepting something blindly. It's about, it's about working through these, um, these experience, your own intuition, and about, the, you know, the logical um, rationale for something to determine whether you are willing to accept that as truth in your life exactly and that's why we always stress that the people we're hearing from every week here and certainly it's true of darren and myself are people who live these things uh, we're trying to and we're not only trying we are to some degree doing that and that's where you really find out that your faith 
is truly rewarded because you really mm. do start to discover the great aphorism that service is the jewel in the rock of attainment. Thank you.